the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. What was he thinking? Was he thinking about hurting us? Was there ever a time that there were thoughts that flashed in his mind? I think the biggest lesson I think I, I drew from all of this, knowing this person for so long, is that we really don't know anybody. Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Fanick. I'm sitting far away from Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. And this is the second part of our story on Thomas Bruce, the alleged Catholic supply store killer. And a friendly reminder that we're referring to Tom Bruce's crimes as alleged because he has not yet gone to trial. But the evidence is overwhelming and you probably know what we all think. So before we dive deeper into the curious case, Billy, we got to know what day is it to day. Today is June 16th and it's World Sea Turtle Day. Oh, I love sea creatures. I love a sea turtle. I love a sea turtle. I swam with some huge ones in Hawaii once. Like the big, they're like the big beefy boys. 200 pounds. Oh, massive. And when I saw pictures of them, they, I thought they were small and it was just close-ups. People, <laughs> you can go to Hawaii and see these like 500 pound turtles. They're they're as big as you. It's pretty wild. They're like gentle little giants, right? They don't I guess maybe oh, they, can they bite. They have beaks. I think their jaws, their jaw pressure is pretty substantial so they can nip you. So respectful distance is what you should maintain everyone. Just observe from afar, respectfully <laughs> let this wilderness Wilderness, wilderness thrive. You should always observe from afar. I love a sea turtle, though. That's an adorable day. What other days totally. do we have, Billy? All right. It's also Wish Fulfillment Day, and I want to read from checkaday.com, okay. which is where we get these. Sigmund Freud came up with the concept of wish fulfillment in his book, The Interpretation of Dreams. It occurs when unconscious desires, having been repressed by the ego and superego, are fulfilled unconsciously in dreams or dreamlike states like daydreams, hallucinations, and neurotic episodes. <gasps> wow. Oh. What does it mean? So you like, like have these deep down desires that you can't fulfill in real life, so you fulfill them in your dreams. In your dreams. Are they wishes and desires we're too ashamed yeah. and ego-filled to express to peers and friends and loved ones? Like, hey, deep down I wanted to be a manatee trainer, which is what I did want to be. But I didn't tell anyone. Doesn't everything with Freud have to do with deep down sexual nature? Like there's got to be a sexual undertone to everything, right? He he goes there, but he also has said, you know, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. So Oh, so sometimes a manatee trainer is just a manatee trainer, Alexis. Exactly. Well, I'm also proud to own my desires. And it's not too late for me to do that, by the way. <laughs> it is like I still could. <laughs> throw burn this life to the ground throw it all away and go um spoon manatees constantly it's never too late to chase after your dreams especially when they're slow like manatees the sea cows you can catch them <laughs> they are my dreams and i will get them there really is one. there's nothing cuter than a manatee except for a beluga whale but no, they're like an ocean marshmallow just floating around <laughs> so so cute so cute do we have any other good days billy uh, it's National Fudge Day. Oh my Ooh. God, the best day of uh, them all. 
Yeah. What a juxtaposition from last week with that cooked fruit blasphemy. Well, now they figured it out. Do we like a fudge? We don't like fudge with nuts in this crowd, do we? We like a plain fudge. Why tarnish delicious fudge with a walnut or or peanut or almond? They can put a hot or a cooked fruit in a fudge. No. What are you doing, both of you? I thought we were all like, I thought we all loved and supported each other. I thought we were a team. This feels like mutiny all of a sudden. Every week, I think we should really bring it back to hot fruit in one way or another. So, please don't. Guys, what have I done to either of you? Mission accomplished. Other than just been there, been a steadfast, reliable comrade. I just love it because it's the most random thing that can really grind your gears. It's like how I have a phobia of feet, you know? It's not even a grind gears thing, it's just repulsive. So if you want to be disgusted here on the first degree, turn into the the hot cooked fruit news of the week. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Well, on that note, that's enough of that. So let's turn down the lights. And turn up your fruit anxiety. I mean, anxiety. <laughs> because this could be you. A man named Tom Bruce was arrested in November of 2018 in connection with a horrific crime that occurred at a Catholic supply store in suburban Missouri. When this crime unfolded, a man had walked in, posing as a customer, and then forced three women to strip and forced two of them to perform sexual acts on him at gunpoint. Jamie Schmidt, a customer who was shopping at the store, refused to cooperate and was killed by this assailant before they fled. A business card found at a sports bar in the same strip mall ultimately led police to Thomas Bruce's front door. Dee Dee, our first degree, was baffled to hear that her former religious mentor had been implicated in such a disturbing crime. Needless to say, the shock continued to reverberate when Tom's name started coming up in connection with several other disturbing events leading observers to wonder whether Thomas Bruce could be a serial killer. After all, what he did at the Catholic supply store was bold, brutal, brazen, and sophisticated. Right, and the speculation as to his potential involvement in other crimes had to have started right away. Because if you look at the characteristics of his crimes at the Catholic supply store, like you said, it was brazen, gaining control of three women. He had his sexual demands. There was no connection between him and anyone in the store or connection with him and the Catholic supply store at all. And the fact that he was at a neighboring business and left his business card there indicates that he chose his location to hit in advance. So he had been scoping it out. All these details suggest that this probably wasn't his first time. What I think is extra interesting, I don't know if any of you listening recall one of our discussions in last week's episode. The fact that there was no surveillance footage of him available, I feel as though perhaps when he had gone to that sports bar, he was scoping things out to see if there were surveillance cameras. Oh. Obviously, like if you really deconstruct this guy, self-preservation is not at the top of his list because he doesn't wear a mask. Yeah. To not wear a mask meant he understood that eyewitness accounts are flimsy and unreliable, and he had to be confident that he wouldn't be caught on camera. Otherwise they would have broadcast his face from the surveillance footage all over the news. 
And that didn't happen because they didn't have it because he went there in advance. Yeah. Probably to make sure there weren't any security cameras anywhere. That's a good call. That is a really good point. So here is what we know about Tom Bruce and what his life was kind of like in November of 2018. He was unemployed and he and his wife, Diane, had filed for bankruptcy in January of 2017. They listed $92,000 in assets and $159,000 in debt. Tom and Diane were living in a trailer home in the Quail Run Mobile Home Park. So the police were piecing together all that they could about Tom Bruce's life in an effort to figure out where he's been, what he's been doing, and what else he could be hiding. And in the course of this research, they uncovered evidence of a perplexing event that occurred in the months prior to the murder of Jamie Schmidt at the Catholic Supply Store. What you're about to hear was recorded during an October 17th traffic stop in Jefferson County, Missouri, when a Missouri State Highway trooper responded to Highway 61 around 6.30 p.m. for a reported road rage incident. I am a, a citizen. You work for me. Okay. All right? Do you understand that? I don't work for you. Or yes, you do. I pay your taxes, mother. I had a beer, but that was it. Okay. It doesn't matter. No, it doesn't matter. So the issue at hand here, Tom Bruce was pulled over for this road rage incident, according to police. Another driver hit Bruce's car from behind after Bruce pulled in front of them and slowed down, which whether he did that on purpose or whatever, you've seen some people do that. The trooper arrives at the scene. And one of the questions he asked Bruce was how much he had to drink that night. And then Bruce keeps saying it doesn't matter. And he's like, no, it does matter. In the dash cam video, the trooper later tells Bruce to relax. And Bruce actually starts to calm down. You shouldn't have to do that, though. But still, he gets no, not even, he doesn't get a breathalyzer. He doesn't get cuffed and stuffed. He doesn't get anything. No traffic tickets were issued for either the driver or the the guy that hit him or Bruce. And they were both allowed to just leave the scene. Fucking insane. Really um, baffled at what... Thomas Bruce gets away with. He gets in the officer's face. He basically demeans the officer. The officer says he's going to conduct a field sobriety test. He never does. Thomas Bruce appears to be slurring his words. He is manipulative and gaslighty. Very manipulative and just so defiant and acts like he's been wronged. And the officer is just, you know, an annoyance to him, basically. It's obvious that he's slurring his words. It's obvious that he, I mean, he isn't even making sense. I think the, the the greatest line in there is when he says, I pay your taxes, motherfucker. First of all, like immediately, first of all, <laughs> it's I pay your salary with my taxes. That's what that's what he's trying to say. But he's saying I pay your taxes, which is just- He also dopey. kept saying, I'm an innocent. I'm yeah, an innocent, yeah. not I'm innocent. No, he was mixing his, he was mixing words. He was mixing phrases. He was doing a lot of weird stuff. Doesn't sound like the smartest guy. Dee Dee had also been made aware of this footage from the road rage incident. And to her, it really painted a picture of a man who was coming undone. He's sort of imploding a little bit. Like he's either getting the courage to do something. And this guy literally just got up in this top face with the F word constantly. I pay your blank, blank salary. I'm just listening to this guy going, what? This Tom, what? Tom, get that like... That's full escalation. That's 
but also narcissistic, which we know serial killers, that's what they are. That's their whole thing. They're narcissistic. After evidence of this road rage incident surfaced, Tom Bruce's name came up yet another time after someone recognized him from his mugshot, which was circulating in the media. A woman ultimately came forward and said that Tom Bruce had been the man who assaulted and robbed her at her home two months prior. A man had came and attacked this this elderly woman and uh, he knocked on a door and she just cracked it open and he pushed the door open and attacked her. He had her on the ground apparently and, and he she must have beat him off with a cane. She's one tough elderly woman. According to court documents, on September 27, 2018, Tom Bruce allegedly entered this 77-year-old woman's home in the late afternoon and he had used a ruse to get inside. He knocked on the door and used his veteran status to say he was with AMVETS and wanted to ask her some questions. Then he forced the door open, knocked the victim to the floor, and dragged her into a spare bedroom to sexually assault her. Similar to what Tom Bruce allegedly did at the Catholic Supply Store, he demanded the victim perform a sex act on him. At this point, the woman's house phone started ringing, which she told Bruce was her husband calling to say he was on his way home. And then Bruce apparently said that he was going to kill the husband when he got home. Tom Bruce then allegedly forced the victim into a bedroom, stole her cell phone, and fled the scene. Okay, I think this is so interesting. So if you look at the timeline of when all this happened, we obviously have this road rage incident. Yeah. Then this. And we also know, we have to look at the fact that, remember what, Tom Bruce's employer said in la- in our last episode that he, quote unquote, lost contact with Tom Bruce two weeks prior. Right. So it sounds like he just stopped showing up for work and that he's sort of on this very erratic journey of God knows what. Yeah. You know? I mean, unraveling is just the best way to describe that. The best way to describe it. So what are we seeing here? I mean, I think what's super fascinating, this one was 77 years old. But what's most interesting is the idea that he just walked up to this woman's house unabated, unwavered, right, in his in his boldness and just forced his way inside. And it makes you wonder whether he had cased this place out too. Again, we're living in the time of ring cameras. Yeah. You have to imagine that he did the research because for some reason his fantasy, it doesn't align with wearing a mask. He doesn't want to wear a mask. It's not his thing. He wants to do it during the day. Yeah, I was going to say this one's during the day again, like completely bright outside. And maybe he's hitting people in places based on their lack of cameras. Because remember, this happened before the Catholic store shooting, murder, and assaults of the other victim. So they had that much more time to identify the suspect, which they didn't because there wasn't any video surveillance. So he probably thinks he's super fucking smart going doing his recon, making sure there's no surveillance footage in the neighborhood. So I think one thing we can glean is that it's like pretty diabolical. Well, I think also too, you have to wonder whether he exa- he started this right then. Like, did he start within this, you know, month long period and saying, this is when I'm going to start doing this. I think his picture should be plastered on every news station almost across the country to say, hey, has this guy, you know, in the places that he's been to, because 
it's just so it, you know it's one thing and i th- and lex you bring up a really really good point about the cameras and that might have been what he was doing he was just like all right this is what i'm going to do i'm going to stake out any place that doesn't have a camera but why is he doing this and is this the first time that he did it and what exactly happened to 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 set him off if this was the first time that he did it i can't i can't see that it was he had to have done this before well and i do think it's interesting also it's that like the 77-year-old victim, is that a crime of purpose or opportunity? Does he have like a mommy problem, you know? Or is it like 77-year-olds don't have cameras? So law enforcement found enough evidence to bring charges against Tom Bruce for the attack on this woman. And these charges included invasion, kidnapping, sexual abuse, assault, and robbery. So with these charges alone, he's facing 50 years in jail potentially. So now, in addition to the charges that he's facing for the Catholic supply store crimes, he's also facing these brand new charges, all of which he entered not guilty pleas. Tom Bruce's alleged connection to this robbery further supported law enforcement's suspicion that he was, in fact, connected to other violent crimes, bolstering the dark possibility that we could be dealing with a serial killer in Tom Bruce. The real questions here are, how far back do his alleged crimes go, and how many could there be? After being exposed as the alleged Catholic supply store killer in late 2018, Tom Bruce's name was now coming up as a possible suspect in several high-profile unsolved crimes. And surely those who thought that they knew Tom Bruce were still reeling from learning about his dark truth. And one of these people coming to grips with this reality was our first-degree Dee Dee. She couldn't stop thinking of the vast close encounters that she had with him over the years and continues to be baffled by the depths of Tom Bruce's deception. I lived with this guy for two weeks and then saw him every other week for 20 years, you know. What was he thinking? Was he thinking about hurting us? Was there ever a time that there were thoughts that flashed in his mind? Just try to put yourself in Dee Dee's shoes, realizing that you and your children spent so much time with a violent offender, allegedly. It's terrifying. I think the biggest lesson I think I I drew from all of this, knowing this person for so long, is that we really don't know anybody. We don't know anybody. Tom Bruce remained behind bars as he awaits trial, and he continues to wait. His defense team has been able to get the judge to postpone his trial date twice already. Last October, they cited pandemic health risk restrictions, which the judge permitted. And then this past April, Bruce got a new lawyer who needed more time to get caught up on the case, which explains this second delay. As things stand now, Tom Bruce is slated to stand trial in October of 2021. That is, if there are no other postponements. And according to Missouri state law, Tom Bruce will be facing the death penalty if he's found guilty of the first degree murder. When it comes to the death penalty... Jurors are also instructed to consider a perpetrator's past record, and it's safe to say his record will definitely be working against him, given that he has allegedly committed multiple crimes within a span of two months. Recently, Tom Bruce's name has come up as a possible suspect in connection 
to a disturbing murder that occurred in Tennessee in 1985. Brace yourself, though. I just had to take a deep breath because, honestly, there is a sickening twist here. Somebody else has already been convicted and executed for committing this murder. This possible connection was revealed when the St. Louis Police Department sent a letter to Barry Sheck of the Innocence Project, bringing some very glaring coincidences to his attention. The victim in the case is 19-year-old Suzanne Collins. They had been looking through Thomas Bruce's history and discovered that he had gone to the same avionics training school where Suzanne Collins, the uh, 19-year-old Marine Lance Corporal in this case, uh, was attending classes. So this was a 1985 case that was thought to be closed. 19-year-old Suzanne Collins was abducted on the day of her graduation while she was jogging at the Naval Air Station base in Millington, Tennessee. And we have a photograph of Suzanne, and she looks just like definitely a poster child for the all-American girl. Honestly, I'm sort of like emotional looking at her photo because she's so young, yet she's wearing this military uniform and she's smiling. She's blonde. She's pretty. She's so cute. And it sort of is one of these. It almost depicts like a, you know, like a retro Americana thing where like 19 year old hot chicks were joining the military in 1985 and she was gorgeous and um, serving your country and enthusiastic. She's a huge smile on her face and it makes you really sad. Yeah, I mean, the picture is, it's so like classic looking. It looks like it's from a movie or something like that. It is. It's like a slice of American pie for sure and nothing should have ever happened to her. But Suzanne's body was found on the base and her autopsy revealed that she had suffered a very horrifying, a very sickening attack. So Suzanne had been severely beaten And her cause of death was determined to be blunt force trauma and internal bleeding because she had been hit in the head with a tree limb. So there were numerous conflicting reports about this tree limb. Some reports said it was sharpened. Some reports, you know, elaborated further. And we're not going to get into the details in a gratuitous way, um, but I will add because I do think it's important in identifying her killer to include this, but the most horrendous part of her attack was that her attacker sexually assaulted her with this branch. And this was done so violently that it punctured one of her lungs. You know, it's it's one of the most disgusting things I've ever heard. And I, I work full time in true crime. So it's cruel. It's unsettling. It's disturbing. It's a case you'd never heard of because it's in 1985, but it's a very, very important case. And that's because a 29-year-old man was arrested for Suzanne's murder, and his name was Sedley Alley. And at the time, in 1985, he was married to a Marine who lived on the same base. So at the moment, Jack, Billy, and I are looking at two pictures of Sedley Alley. He would have appeared back in 1985 is one picture we're looking at. He's wearing a turtleneck. He looks like he's got glasses, whatever. And the other is a mugshot we have of him upon his arrest, pretty much. So what are we looking at, guys? Well, the mugshot of him, you know, he is um, obviously older. He has a mustache and... Mustache. uh, Mustache. You know, brown hair. Also just a normal, normal normal-looking 
guy, normal looking white guy. His younger picture, it's so funny. Um, he looks like a guy I went to high school with. He looks like your average guy. He's He's got like a thermal on. He's got glasses. He's got like a closed mouth smile on his face. He's against a brick wall. He's probably like in a barrack or something. Yeah, he's got those sort of glasses that you see. It almost looks like a retro picture from, from uh, somebody in the military from the Vietnam era. Because he's got those thick sort of Coke bottle like glasses. Mm-hmm. Sedley Alley's arrest came as a result of two other Marines identifying his car as the same one they saw after they heard what they described as a woman screaming. After hours of interrogation, Alley finally confessed to police that he had, in fact, killed Suzanne. So you're probably wondering, why would they think Tom Bruce was involved if the killer had already admitted to this crime? So timeline-wise... Sedley Alley's story, apparently, according to the Innocence Project, did not align with the circumstances of Suzanne's murder. So first, Alley said that his wife went to a Tupperware party, which apparently made him angry, so he started drinking beer and wine, and he didn't remember much after that. When he ran out of booze, he got into his car and accidentally hit Suzanne on the side of the road while she was jogging on the base. So that's story number one. But he then told a second story. Suzanne died after she fell on a screwdriver he was holding as he was trying to help her. But of course, that doesn't add up, and we don't have the context of understanding how they would even be in the same proximity so that he could be helping her with something. She also didn't have any wounds that would indicate she was hit by a car in any way. So, you know, his story is changing, but despite... The questions that remained in this case, he was put on trial for the murder of Suzanne Collins. And during his trial, he tried to explain his false confession by revealing that he had a personality disorder. And his defense steadfastly denied that he was the person who killed Suzanne Collins. Allie had told his attorneys that he had no memory of killing Suzanne. But apparently during trial, the jury didn't believe his multiple personality disorder defense since the prosecution introduced proof in the form of letters that Sedley Alley exchanged with his wife. And in these letters, he allegedly discussed faking having a mental illness as part of his defense. Sedley Alley was ultimately convicted in the murder of Suzanne Collins, and his subsequent appeals were denied. He spent significant time on death row before the Innocence Project took notice of his case. And we want to point out that the Innocence Project is very selective about which cases they take on. They have limited resources. So if a member of their team believes someone is innocent, that generally means that there are some big questions about the conviction. And I also want to add that we're not here advocating for Sedley Alley's innocence. We're just saying there are issues here. Issues that are warranted to be looked at, but what you've heard so far is not the messed up part. Here's the messed up part. Once the Innocence Project took hold of Sedley Alley's case, they actually learned that there was evidence found at the scene of Suzanne Collins's murder. And this evidence consisted of a red pair of men's underwear that were found close to Suzanne's body. A pair of men's underwear in a murder in a vicious sexual assault murder is very significant. As Sedley Alley's execution date approached, remember, he was given the death penalty. The Innocence Project requested to have this pair of men's underwear tested for DNA. This could be the concrete evidence 
that could exonerate Sudley Alley, a man who the Innocence Project, at least, believes to be innocent. But the request to have this evidence tested was denied by the Tennessee Court of Appeals in 2006. And despite these lingering questions, in 2006, Sedley Alley was executed by lethal injection. When it comes to this case, we're talking about 18 years from conviction to this killer finally being put to death. And I know that the family of Suzanne Collins was incredibly vocal about talking to uh, the press, talking to the government and saying, like, you know, this is this is a travesty that we're having to wait this long to finally get justice. So I understand that there was this pressure to finally, for lack of a better term, finally kill this guy. But why not just test it? Just test the underwear. Following the reveal of Tom Bruce as an alleged violent sexual offender and murderer, the conversation regarding Sedley Alley's possible innocence had been reignited. And here's why. It turns out that Tom Bruce had a connection to 19-year-old Suzanne Collins. Authorities had discovered that Thomas Bruce had attended an avionics training school in Memphis, Tennessee, at the same time that Suzanne Collins was taking classes there. They allegedly took classes together. At this point, when Suzanne was killed, Bruce was no longer taking classes at the school and had left the area. But it seems as though Thomas Bruce had returned to the area for a graduation party the very same weekend that Suzanne was killed. That is quite the coincidence. Recently, Barry Sheck, the attorney and founding member of the Innocence Project, is still fighting to have this red underwear tested in an effort to not only exonerate Sedley Alley, even though he's already been executed, but also to reveal Suzanne's true killer, which is the only way there can be any justice for her. According to the Innocence Project's website, in 2006, the Tennessee Board of Parole recommended that then-Governor Bredesen stay Mr. Alley's execution and order DNA testing. But instead of exercising his power to order DNA testing, the governor directed Mr. Alley's defense team to present their request for testing to a trial court. Somehow, amidst all this bureaucracy and red tape, Alley was executed. And here's Barry Sheck speaking during one of these legal hearings regarding having this underwear tested. It is clear that if we don't get a DNA test in this case, it's wrong. It is fundamentally unfair. So apparently the Tennessee Attorney General's office's position on this, and they have a position, is that basically the testing and litigation about this underwear should stop because it's expensive. And Sedley Alley, their prime suspect and the person convicted of this crime, is already dead. So that's their position. But unsurprisingly... Sedley Alley's daughter, who's named April, and the Innocence Project want justice and vindication for a man who they think is innocent. So there's some more information here that kind of twists the knife in this situation. So remember how we talked about how the Innocence Project filed a motion to have this underwear tested prior to Sedley Alley's execution? That motion was denied. But apparently, that denial was a mistake. 
and the Tennessee Supreme Court has since admitted its basis for denying the testing in 2006 before the execution was wrong, in that they should have allowed the testing of this underwear, but executed this man anyway. So I don't know. That's it's just dev- it's sad. It's devastating. I mean, and I think what everyone needs to realize is that like this isn't actually about Sudley Alley or about Thomas Bruce. It's about Suzanne Collins. And um, whatever political games DAs or politicians are playing in in what they choose to do regarding perpetrators, are, it's irrelevant compared to the justice for this, this 19-year-old woman who was trying to serve our country. The only picture I've seen of her is her in her uniform. Like, it's awful. Yeah. And again, I think we all hit it on that. Just test it. I don't care if it's if it's taken 19 years. You just test it so everybody can say, okay, you know. Well, at the end of the day, wouldn't everybody like to know? Like, that's just, it's such a bizarre thing. That's what I'm saying. If the purpose is justice, is it about, DAs have to ask themselves, is it winning or is it about justice for Suzanne? Yeah. Because yeah. justice for Suzanne would mean testing this underwear. And probably being wrong. Yeah. Exactly. And I think I think everyone's afraid of the truth in this situation. So they're like, maybe we shouldn't. Yeah. I think what what are the things that they probably I mean, just to play devil's advocate here, they're probably afraid of. They test the underwear. It's an unknown uh uh sample. It might not have anything to do with the case, but you know, then it then it it brings up a whole nother uh you know, uh, can of worms that they have to open up. And they really felt strong uh, about the case, even without the underwear. Obviously, the case wasn't incredibly strong, but it was strong enough to put a man to death. Before the underwear, the Innocence Project had already picked the case up. Yeah. Here's where things appear to have left off. In November of 2019, the petition to test the DNA was filed by Sedley Alley's daughter, April. It was denied, but she appealed in 2021. This past February, an appeals court heard arguments on whether a dead man can still push for post-conviction relief in criminal court or if his estate can only do so in civil matters. So the final outcome of what will happen with this underwear and whether DNA testing will ever be done remains to be known. And it's anyone's guess what the final outcome will be. And according to Innocence Project statistics, 174 people have been freed from death row for crimes that they didn't commit many of whom were exonerated by DNA testing, the same testing the Innocence Project was advocating to have done in the case of Suzanne Collins. And the stakes are high in this situation. If the testing does end up being done on the red underwear, and if Steadley Alley were to hypothetically be exonerated, it would be the first time DNA proved an innocent person was executed. And proof of this kind of judicial blunder would be catastrophic and have far-reaching implications. And just imagine, you know, what this kind of Pandora's box could open. Yeah, I think for me, my instincts are with Tennessee Court of Appeals not wanting to retest this evidence. I think it's self-preservation. They just want to sweep it under the rug and just be like... Imagine what what this could do to the entire judicial system. (laughs) Like, I'm so uh, irate thinking about it, actually. Um, They should do it to vindicate themselves if they did nothing wrong. Yeah, well, the, it, and it's obvious also because if the appeals court is hearing arguments about whether you can get post-conviction relief uh, for a dead man in criminal court or if it has to be in civil matters, they're they're thinking about money. And yeah. they're thinking about how much money they're going to have to pay uh, for potentially having uh, put this man to death. Hey, you know what? Probably less than what it costed to execute Sudley Alley. Executions cost millions of dollars. 
And, you know, that's what you – you guys pushed that forward to have that happen. So, you know, address it. Like, test it. If you did something wrong, fix it. Don't let it happen again. Like, fucking face, face your mistakes, you know? Right. And the purpose of this episode is obviously to explore the potential victims connected to Thomas Bruce. But even beyond him, there is also another suspect that could have been responsible for the death of Suzanne Collins. Because apparently, Susan's boyfriend in 1985, he looked similar to witness descriptions of the killer compared to what Allie looked like. And the boyfriend also had a vehicle that matched the description of the car that was involved as well. Okay, so let's get back to Tom Bruce. Suzanne was killed in 1985. And as of November 2018, Bruce is behind bars for the murder of Jamie Schmidt and the rapes of the two women at the store. Now, let's say hypothetically, if Tom is responsible for Suzanne's death, that would be 33 years between these crimes. Now, think about that. The amount of crimes that he could have committed within that time could be pretty staggering. And with that startling prospect in mind, Dee Dee has searched her memories of time spent with the Bruces to see if anything stands out. She wishes she could reconstruct all her memories of the mission trips, but so much time has passed. And the presence of Tom in even her happy memories have darkly tainted them. Those are literally the thoughts that have been keeping me up. I want to cut him out of every Scotland picture I have. I want to pretend Scotland didn't happen. But I can't. It's made me kind of who I am today. Tom, Bruce, freaking reconcile this, has pushed me into the Christian, into the woman I am today. This idea that Tom Bruce was the person who helped Dee Dee grow in her Christian faith is a painful internal conundrum Dee Dee still grapples with constantly. Because remember, when we said that Tom and Diane Bruce moved 27 different times, living in 27 different residences, these are just the ones law enforcement have been able to uncover. He travels all over the world. If Tom Bruce is a serial killer, there's no way to know how many potential crimes he's committed or could be connected to. And, you know, we've done a search. Tom Bruce lived in Tennessee, Michigan, California, Virginia, Missouri. Plus, as someone in the military, he would have traveled a lot during his time in the Navy. Exposing him and identifying him as a killer, if he is a serial killer, is key. And a quick Google will reveal that Thomas Bruce's name has come up in connection with one of the most high-profile unsolved cases of the last decade, the Delphi killings. And those of you not familiar with the case, uh, the Delphi killings are the murders of Abigail Williams and Liberty German. Their bodies were found February 14th, 2017, in the woods in Indiana. And uh, these two little girls actually had the wherewithal to take a video, um, a Snapchat video of their assailant before he uh, was coming up upon them. And uh, this video has been shown uh, in a bunch of different places. It was it was taken on this uh, trestle bridge right before they were attacked. It's still unsolved. And I would say probably it's the it's the most infamous unsolved crime of the of the past 10 years when it comes down to it. Within the true crime community, there have been so many potential suspects being offered up as who this guy is, who, who they refer to as the bridge guy, the bridge man. And it's been actually 
detrimental to the case because a lot of people have said, oh, they caught the guy because this guy looks like him. There have been a lot of side-by-side comparisons, a lot of people going through Facebook pages and saying this could be the guy or this could be the guy. But um, with this case and uh, you know, whenever you have somebody that could potentially look like this man that they videotaped on the bridge and somebody that is a horrible person who has a horrible track record, uh, you know, this case is going to come up. And that's one of the things that happened here. Another reason, though, they are connecting. Sorry, Billy. Um, it's this newsboy hat thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was wearing that newsboy hat. You know, the in the description of Tom Bruce's crimes at the Catholic uh, supply store, he was wearing this newsboy hat. And we know that one of the biggest sketches associated with the Delphi killings, they're wearing a newsboy hat. Yes. I don't know what else you need to know to stop wearing this hat, dude, also. Um, but besides that, another reason that Tom Bruce's name has come up as a possibility or possible connection in the Delphi case is because Tom apparently has family in the same area in, in Indiana. We're not necessarily saying Tom Bruce is connected to this case, but he's come up in these big profile cases across the country. Yeah. And a media outlet called True Crime Investigates reported that one of their reporters exchanged some emails with Tom's wife, Diane Bruce, and she said that it was impossible for Tom to be connected to the Delphi crimes. She said that Tom was with her on February 13th, the year that the killings took place. And she knows this because they, as a tradition, would always celebrate Valentine's Day the day before to avoid crowded restaurants, which is so romantic. Quite. He's like, let's avoid the restaurants. Let's get the discounts. (laughs) So either way, the identification of Tom Bruce as a potential serial killer elicits far more questions than answers, especially considering that he hasn't had his trial yet. So we're left to speculate and spin our wheels. Our first-degree Dee Dee still struggles with her former proximity to Tom Bruce, and she struggles internally with how to handle her feelings about it. She's asking herself, what would a good Christian do? But then again, it doesn't seem as though Tom Bruce was ever the good Christian he was masquerading to be. Christians are people, too. We're no different. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that says, thereby the grace of God go I. We really are no different. I could commit murder just like anybody else. I know that's a terrible thing to think, but it's just the truth. But something stops you. Something has to, in your heart and your mind, stop you from doing that. From where we're sitting, it appears that Tom Bruce was a wolf in sheep's clothing, a guy who wore the cloak of religion as a disguise. You don't wake up one day and decide you're going to do that. But in my mind, I'm thinking he, he has fought this, this urge for probably most of his life and then just decided to go act on it. So was Christianity a facade? I, I don't, with the way that I see his pictures being portrayed in the media, with the answers he's given, like I'm not guilty, the way you talk to that cop, to me I would deduce that it was a facade. There is no denying that one of the most troubling aspects of the alleged crimes connected to Tom Bruce is the unassuming facade he adopted. More troubling still, even those close to him observed no red flags. Didi recalls the days spent traveling with Tom and Diane Bruce overseas in Scotland. He just never acted inappropriate. It's not like there are these glaring things that he would go off with young girls or even with women, you know. I mean, he had plenty of opportunities to do that. On our trip, he certainly did. And we wouldn't have thought a thing about it. 
And remember, although Tom, for the most part, was quiet, he could really turn on the charm when it suited him to. Like when Tom Bruce was on the streets of Scotland on these mission trips he took with Dee Dee. He was talking to people on the streets for two weeks. But it's interesting when we all get in the vans and we go home for the day. Nothing. We're all just, you know, because you're amped. You get, you know, you got this adrenaline flowing through you. And he's just silent. But again, I'm not, I'm not viewing him in the way that I am now. I'm only looking back now. So the question is, is there anything we can do to protect ourselves from the Tom Bruce's of the world? I think if you've got a check in your spirit, I think you need to listen to it. I think if some, something in your gut is telling you something, <laughs> I think we don't listen enough. We don't like confrontation as human beings. We don't like stirring up things like, what if I'm wrong? We don't, we just don't like doing that. But I always thought Tom was just a little odd. He won't talk. He just doesn't engage. He doesn't look you in the eye. Recently, Dee Dee has felt compelled to write Tom Bruce, and she's really grappled with this decision. I think for weeks, I wanted to write him. Right? Like, what happened, Tom? Like, can you, can you explain this to me? I need to know what happened. I need to understand. How could you have been around all of us and been in real true leadership in the church, and then you're, help me, help me understand this. The hope is that much-anticipated questions will be answered during the trial of Tom Bruce, but the reality is aspects of the mind of a sociopath are often beyond our ability to understand or comprehend. For now, Tom Bruce is awaiting trial, which is slated to begin in October. Diane Bruce has spoken to the media and has said several times how horrified she is and how sorry she is for the victims and their families. At this point, there's no reason to believe that she had any idea of the sinister thoughts running through her husband's head. Today's case is a sobering reminder of a brutal reality. We are never safe. In danger, at any time and anywhere, could be lurking just beneath the surface of someone who you trust. You never know what mask a sociopath may choose to wear in order to get what they want in evade detection. Their teachers, their government workers, their doctors, and of course, there are people who claim to preach the word of God, when in fact, they're actually the devil. A huge thank you to Didi for being our first degree for the past two episodes. If you're listening out there and you have a story to tell, please email us hello at thefirstdegreepodcast.com. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at The First Degree, at Alexis Linkletter, at Billy Jensen, at Jack Vanek. Join our Facebook group. We are talking true crime all the time. And stick around tomorrow for a brand new episode of Killing Time in our feed. And remember, only you can prevent serial killers. And keep your friends close. But close. Happy Sea Turtle Day. Happy Seas Your Dreams Day. Happy Fudge Day. Happy Fudge Day. That's the good one, Billy. Thank you. Fudge. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring and creating original music for The First Degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, producing and additional writing by Taylor Rogers, and producing by Alan Santiago for Podcast One. 
Sources for this podcast episode are St. Louis Post-Dispatch, KSDK, Fox 2, The Missouri Times, The Tennessean, The Missouri Patch, Court Documents, The Innocence Project. And as always, our first guest is always our largest source.